Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. Joining me on the line, not from his native Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but from Las Vegas, Nevada, we have Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how's Vegas? You know, it's pretty good, man. I'm here for a week uh, rehearsing a play that's like a sort of weird situation where. They're like already doing it. I'm replacing one of the actors. They're like doing it here. And then me and the rest of the cast are going to go back to Pittsburgh and do the play there for a few weeks. So yeah, I've been mostly holed up playing magic and, and trying to learn my lines. Um, that's That's been my week. How about you? How are you doing? That sounds like the dream for you, right? <laughs> that is the dream. Yeah. Like, that... like just act, acting in magic? I get to have this dream for like the next uh, three months. That's awesome. Uh, so that, that's going to be pretty sweet. How was your week? Yeah, uh, doing well. Nothing out of the ordinary. I'm back into the streaming world, which is good. Uh, it's yeah. felt good to be streaming most most days this week. And you are like destroying Iconic Masters right now. Is that right? I am destroying Iconic Masters. Yeah. Uh, currently ten and zero. Uh, I trophied my first three drafts, and I won round one of my fourth draft. So I have a hundred percent win rate in Iconic Masters and XLN. I have twenty five trophies, uh, twenty six drafts. 153 and 70 record for a 68.6% win rate. So I assume at some point uh, the, the losses are going to start flowing in Iconic Masters and we'll, we'll get down to a normal win rate. But until then, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to celebrate being undefeated. That's so great. I think at the end of the episode, we'll, we'll have to pick your brain a little bit about what's been working for you in Iconic Masters. And just you said 76 drafts or 26 drafts and it's 76. 25 trophies and 26 drafts oh, would have made did me I mix it up? feel real bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 25 trophies, 76 drafts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to put a disclaimer here. We're going to try, because I'm not in my usual location, I am in a, a house with some some wee children and some dogs, so we're going to try recording through it, um, so I apologize if some of that noise comes in the background for you guys, as I believe it is right now. Anyway, so my trophy record is I had 46 trophies in 181 drafts for Ixalan, it's a 65% win rate, and then Iconic Masters, I've got only two trophies, two measly little trophies in 14 drafts. Uh, for a 60% win rate, 25 and 17. I've been really like messing around. You've just been going full doorkeeper. I've been going full doorkeeper. That's the only deck I've drafted so far, and it's been working. So figure keep drafting it till it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I definitely have had a lot of success with it and been really enjoying those decks when they come together. So uh, we had a really cool announcement last week. We got uh, a Patreon page up and running, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, as an opportunity for those of you who want to give back to the podcast, who've found it uh, a worthwhile endeavor, maybe helped you win win a few more drafts at your FNM, anything like that. And we've got some cool perks for you, some shout outs on the podcast, um, copy of the show notes, a little behind the scenes recording as we uh, get ready for each episode. And we have a few new patrons this week that uh, have gotten the, the shout-out tier. So Lee, Ryan, Andre, and Emil, thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, super awesome. Really appreciate you supporting the show. Cannot say thank you enough. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. Um, so for today, I think we're going to mostly depart from Iconic Masters, maybe get there uh, next week, really dive in once we've got a number of drafts under our belt. But today we wanted to, to talk about Ixalan and perhaps a, an uncharted corner of this format that a lot of people are not aware of. Yes. So, Ben, do you want to take me uh, through a little bit of a roundtable here? Yeah, uh, I would be glad to. So this is one of my drafts uh, from the last couple weeks here. I don't know mm-hmm. exactly, probably about a week or so 
ago. Actually, it's probably got to have been this last week because that's the first time I've been drafting. So probably <laughs> within the last seven days or so. Yeah. So you sit down at the round table and pack one, pick one. You see the following cards. Uh, Fathom Fleet Firebrand. That's one in a red for the 2-2 two, two with Smoke Breathing. Uh, one in a red to give it plus one, plus zero. Oh, patent pending. Uh, Bishop Soldier. One in a white for the 2-2 two, two Vampire with a lifelink. Wanted Scoundrels. One in a black for the 4-3 Pirate. Uh, that when it dies, your opponent gets to make two treasure tokens. Walk the plank, black, black, sorcery, destroy target, non-merfolk creature, and sunbird's invocation, the enchantment, five and a red. Let's see if I know what this does. Okay. Uh, whenever you cast a spell from your hand, reveal the top X cards of your library, where X is that spell's converted mana cost. You may cast a card revealed this way with converted mana cost X or less without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. You know what's most impressive about you reciting that is the way you say you, the way you just slipped in cast this way or revealed this way revealed this way that is just perfect Magic the Gathering templating right there I think you nailed it all right um so this pack is really strong you've got like two of the best commons in Fathomly Firebrand and Bishop Soldier two of the best uncommons in Wanted Scoundrels and Walk the Plank and one of the jankiest rares in Sunbird's Invocation. Um, I wish if we could go back now, uh, if we were like a really high-tech podcast, I would insert our conversation from the set review about Wanted Scoundrels right <laughs> and I, here. And I would be so embarrassed. Yeah. Uh, ben, just for listeners who maybe didn't hear our set review, what grade did you give Wanted Scoundrels? I believe I gave Wanted Scoundrels a D, and I said yeah. I said that the drawback was going to be too big of a cost to pay for just a 4-3 body for two mana. And boy, yeah. was I wrong. <laughs> Boy, were you wrong. I gave it a B minus, and that's still low. It's probably a B plus. Like, that card is absurdly strong. Yes, one of the best uncommons in the set. For sure. And I think beer drafting-wise, Wanted Scoundrels, a little better than Walk the Plank, but not by much, right? Like, Walk the Plank is really good. Very cheap, efficient removal. It is, but I think if you're on the beard philosophy, you want you value threats slightly higher than removal, and Wanted Scoundrels mm-hmm. is one of the best, if not the best, two-drop threat in the format. Uh, I agree. So yeah, that, that's what I picked here. I think it sounds like that's what you're on as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think I'd be on one of the scoundrels and then walk the plank slightly behind it. I think walk the plank edges out the other two two-drop creatures. What do you think? I think so as well. Yeah. On to pick two here. You see the following cards. Vanquish the weak. Two and a black for instant speed. Destroy target creature. Con- no, power three or less. Almost said mm-hmm. convert a mana cost. Paladin of the Bloodstained. Three and a white for the three-two vampire that when it comes into play makes a one-one life-linking vampire token. Depths of Desire, Tuna Blue for the instant speed, bounce something, make a treasure token, bounce a creature, right? And then, or is it Artifact or Creature? I think it's Artifact. No, just Creature. creature. Runner Ground is uh, Artifact. Oh, Artifact Creature, yeah, that's right. Ranging Raptors, Tuna Green for the 2-3 with the Enraged Trigger of Search Your Library for Basic Land Card and put it onto the battlefield tapped. And Treasure Map, oh god, two colors for the (laughs) Artifact that has one tap, Scry 1. And then if you put a treasure counter on it, and then if you have three or more treasure counters on it at the end of the turn, you flip it, and it transforms into, I don't even know what the name of the card is, Pirate's Cove, maybe? Something like that? Wow, sure, yeah. Is that right? I have no idea. (laughs) Transforms into a land that lets you add colorless mana or tap, sacrifice a treasure to draw a card. Everything about that was right, except, one, we don't know the name, but two, it doesn't flip end of turn. It just slips immediately once you have three treasure. Oh, does it? Or once you have three counters on it. Three counters on it? Hot dang. Because you can do it on upkeep and then it flips. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Again, another pretty strong pack here. I mean, Vanquish the Weak, Ranging Raptors, couple like medium blue-white cards with Depths and Paladin. Uh, but Treasure Map, I think, is just super strong all around. And uh, it's colorless, so it's going to go in any deck. I think even if you're in a super aggressive deck, you still like it because it smooths out some draws or helps you find that last bit of action you need when you've uh, got your opponent life total down pretty low i think that's a, re- a really strong card and i would definitely be looking to snatch that up here and wonder what my pl- the player to my right took over it yeah it's just good in every deck you know i've seen some people in my twitch chat say that it's not good in aggressive decks and i think it i think it still is it's so cheap yeah. it's such a low impact to your deck and your impact to curving out and it provides such good late game inevitability even for an aggro deck lets you find that last piece of reach you need to get your opponent dead Mm -hmm. so that is also what i grabbed there so we're on the same same path wanted scoundrels and treasure map Uh, pick three you see the following cards pious interdiction three and a white for the enchantment Uh, it's a pacifism effect that gains you two life when it enters the battlefield contract killing three black black for the sorcery destroy target creature make yourself two treasure tokens New Horizons, two and a green for the Enchant Land. Uh, Enchanted Land has 
tap, add two mana of any one color to your mana pool, and when New Horizons enter the battlefield, you put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. And Wild Growth Walker, one and a green for the one three, I don't know what creature type this is. I think it's an elemental. An elemental, yeah, that sounds right, an elemental. And whenever you explore, you gain three life. And put a counter on it. And put a counter on it. Good lord, I'm all over the place. It's all good. Again, people, we're just trying to do these cards from memory. You know, we're not we're not looking at these card images. Um, so I think that this is sort of the pick that will maybe spoil what the rest of this episode is going to be about. But this pack is pretty strong. Again, I think you've got a couple uh, different options. You could stick with Wanted Scoundrels Treasure Map and grab Contract Killing to stay black and maybe stay with some treasure-making uh, themes so that when you flip your treasure map, you have Contract Killing Treasures to draw some extra cards. But I think that Wild Growth Walker is a really strong card in the deck that we're going to talk about today, uh, this sort of like Dirtle Control deck, uh, that I wouldn't fault you for taking it here, though it does feel like you're trying to like force that deck a little bit. I mean, I, I ended up taking Wild Growth Walker here over the Contract Killing, I think, because we're, we're on, we've been on, you know, if you've if you've watched our streams at all, you know, the last couple weeks uh, and me the last week, we've been on uh, hashtag Dirtle Responsibly. We've been, we've been trying to Dirtle a little bit, and I think if you're trying to uh, Dirtle, Wild Growth Walker is the highest upside card for that deck. Mm-hmm. But I think Contract Killing is probably just the strictly correct pick here. Mm-hmm. If, if you're just drafting normally and you're trying to read the table and see if the Dirtle deck comes to you. But I, w- I was trying to bias towards it a little bit here with the Wild Growth Walker pick. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. I mean, I think it is one of the, the more important cards to the deck at common or uncommon that we'll we'll talk about in a bit. Um, that wouldn't fault you for grabbing it here. And, and you do. And I uh, think that's totally acceptable. So what do we got for pick four? Were you on contract killing there? I think I value the explore synergies a little less than you do. Like, I think I'm fine to have, like, five explore creatures and no payoffs for them. But I think from watching uh, you navigate this this deck a few times that you really like to, to have as many of those wild growth walkers or explore payoffs as you can, which I think yeah. is, is totally fine. Yeah, for sure. Contract killing is, is way more replaceable than wild growth walker is in the deck. Yep. Pick four. You see the following cards. Mark of the Vampire, three and a black for the enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and lifelink. Shining Aerosaur, four and a white for the three, four flying dinosaur. Ruthless Knave. Two and a black for the three-two pirate uh, that has two and a black. Sacrifice a creature, make two treasure tokens, and then sacrifice three te- treasure tokens to draw a card. And then you see overflowing insight as your rare for blue, blue, blue. Ding, 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 ding. Target player draws seven cards. So this is one of the cards that you hope to see to get you into this sort of control. We will use the word dirtle a lot in in today's episode, but this kind of dirtle deck that I think really does have legs in the format, in this hyper-aggressive Ixalan format, uh, that I think Overflowing Insight is really great. And because everyone else is on these uh, crazy aggro decks, you're going to get past cards like Overflowing Insight, and that's really going to be what makes your deck tick. So I, I would be... Just like licking my chops and windmill slamming that overflowing insight into my pile. That is what I did as well. On a pick five, not not much to see here. I snapped up a New Horizons, uh, which was the Enchant Land. That's super important to the deck for fixing uh, as far as letting you splash multiple colors. Pick six, I went Atsukan Archer. Uh, pick seven was kind of a blank. Pick eight, I snapped up a Prosperous Pirates, which is uh, four and a blue for the three, th- three, four pirate that makes two treasure tokens when it enters the battlefield. And then pick nine we wield Sunbird's Invocation from our opening pack, which is a, a big thing here. So I, I took Wanted, Wanted Scoundrels initially pack one and noted that Sunbird's Invocation was in the pack and ho- was hoping it was going to wheel, and I was psyched when I wielded on stream. And from that point on, I just, you know, decided I was drafting this deck. Yeah, I mean, you've got three really powerful card draw engines with Treasure Map, Insight, and Sunbird's Invoca- Invocation. You've got some good ramp payoffs with New Horizons and Prosperous Pirates, and you've got an Explore payoff in Wild Growth Walker. I mean, you've got a really good package out of pack one here to make a, a good, maybe great version of this deck. Yeah. All right, you want to set us up for just some general like thoughts on this archetype? I'd like everyone listening to just show the conductor your ticket, get on the train, and take <laughs> take the express to Dirtle Town. Okay? Dirtle Town, here we come! Dirtle Town USA is a great place. Uh, ben recently uh, set up his house here, and we've just been having a great time. So I want to talk about what we mean when we say 
Dirtle. Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines Dirtle as a deck that is three to five colors, has a game plan of stabilizing in the early and mid part of the game to take over the late game with the raw power level of the cards in the deck. And the, the possibility of a deck like this kind of with and and this sort of deck is possible in any sort of format. I think people are down on it in this format because the format is so aggressive, but I think the tools mm-hmm. are still kind of here. And the three the three things you're looking for when you're trying to draft a deck like this is what type of fixing is available in the format. Um, and we do have fixing in Treasures and New Horizons. Mm-hmm. And Drover of the Mighty. And Drover of the Mighty, yeah. And then is there incidental life gain, um, which is kind of crucial for helping you stabilize. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, once you stabilize, maybe if you're at a precarious life total, come back and get your life total a little healthier so you've got breathing room. And then are the other people at your draft table drafting correctly, like quote unquote, like are they doing what what they're supposed to be doing? And if if so, especially in Ixlon, you know, if everyone's on beard, like we outlined a few episodes ago, nobody's going to be interested in the cards you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time that runs out of steam and you can go over the top of that deck with this archetype. I think also this was pre us doing the podcast, but I think we were on the same page in Amonkhet. I think Amonkhet is a very similarly aggressive format where beard strategies with cartouches really shine. But there was a Gift of Paradise deck that I think was quite strong in that format. And Gift of Paradise was sort of the complete package because it was incidental life gain, it was fixing, and it was ramp all in one. So looking out for those kinds of cards, like the New Horizons of the World or the Treasure Makers of the World, are the, the things that make these decks really be possible because without fixing you aren't able to splash the rares or the bomby cards that you get i I think that in amonkhet it was a little bit better to do this deck because i think gift of paradise was slightly better than new horizons is and i think there were a lot more bombs that you were going to get past in amonkhet but it's Mm -hmm. still very doable here too and it's the, the same principles still apply yeah, for sure. So talk about Dirtling specifically for Ixalan. So the deck tends to be Sultai-based due to where the ramp and fixing are. So that's it's going to be some combination of green, blue, and black-based uh, because of the nature of treasure-making and the nature of green having Drover of the Mighty and, and, and New Horizons, right? So New Horizons and Drover of the Mighty are going to be the, the obvious ramp fixers out of green. Uh, what's going on in blue, Ben? Uh, in blue, you've got Sailor of Means, Depths of Desire, Prosperous Pirates. Those are kind of the three cards you're looking out for. And probably in the order of Sailor of Means, then Prosperous Pirates, then Depths of Desire. I don't know. Do you pre- What do you prefer between Depths and Prosperous Pirates? It's tough because I find that you can get Prosperous Pirates, I think, a little later than Depths. But I agree. The combination, one of Sailor of Means, I think, is one of the strongest cards for this deck. Uh, and it's sort of weird that the deck often wants to be... That, that blue is sort of the, the color fixer for this format, whereas green is what we're used to seeing. Green is usually where color fixing happens. But the fact that Sailor of Means and Prosperous Pirates provide a relevant blocker on the board and give you ramp and fixing is really key. Whereas like New Horizons and Drover of the Mighty are like, I'm here to cast other spells, but I am not here to mess around in combat. Right. So the, the blue cards tick off two of those three boxes. They're helping you survive and they're helping you fix, whereas the green right. cards are only ticking off the fixing box. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I agree. Sailor means then prosperous, then depths. Uh, what, what do we got in black? So in black, uh, contract killing is the premier uh, fixer. It's really important to note uh, that, that contract killing, in addition to Prosperous Pirates and New Horizons, assist with double splashes. And that's one of the reasons that that's like the secondary reason why this deck works in terms of the amount of fixing that's available in the format is that three of those cards fix for double colored spells. Now you have to be a little judicious when you cast a contract killing if you're then trying to cast, let's say, Thundering Spine back off of only treasures or new horizons. Then you gotta be like, all right, well those two treasures just have to sit around unless I really, really need them because I'm uh, holding out to use those to cast my double colored spell that I'm splashing in this deck. And then a slight, uh, I think probably worse than most of them because you can't control when you get the treasure, but Dire Fleet Hoarder, the one in a black 2-1 that when it dies, you get a treasure. I think that's a, a fine early blocker. You know, you still have to contend with the players who are drafting Beard, who are drafting aggressive decks. You've got to have uh, what is called defensive speed. You've got to be able to play something early in the game. You can't just be spinning your wheels until you fire off your uh, you know, Sunbird's Invocation or whatever to really start getting the game going. You'll be dead by then. So Dire Fleet Hoarder helps that, and then you get a little bonus when it dies. 
Yeah, and I think important to note here, like we've not mentioned, you know, a lot of the cards that we've we've tagged as the best commons in mm -hmm. in Ixalan, you know, under the the beard method. So I think you, if you're trying to draft this deck, you have to maybe reevaluate your pick orders a little bit. So I think contract killing certainly becomes better than vanquish the weak in black. Yes. If you if you're trying to draft this deck, and mm -hmm. sailor of means becomes better than one with the wind, which yeah. is pretty like hurts my soul. But I think that's <laughs> I think that's the way to go if you're trying to draft this deck or you feel like your seat wants to draft this deck yes so just just kind of a, a mentality shift there too and then the other thing this deck needs is ways to survive the late game you want to give us a little rundown on that yes yeah, so we talked about this a little bit so explore i think is a, a mechanic that really lends itself to this kind of deck because often the explore synergies from black and green uh help fuel this deck in a way that that other cards can't so the two and the three drops especially, they either are going to provide a pretty good body when they explore non-land cards. So like, think of Secret Squire is going to be a 2-3 for two, or the Merfolk Branchwalker is going to be a 3-2 for two. Those are like, that's really strong stuff. Or Tashana's Wayfinder is a 3-3 three, three for three. These are like good bodies that can match up with most of the commons in the format pretty well. Mm -hmm. And then if you reveal a land, that's fine too, because then often, you know, they're a little underpowered creatures, Seeker Squire especially, but even like a Merfolk Branchwalker as a 2-1 is probably going to be able to trade off for something, and then you drew a land off of it. And your deck, more than any other deck in the format, as a Dirtle deck, is going to be able to use that land most effectively. You're going to have mana sinks, you're going to have big spells you want to cast, or or card draw spells, or anything like that. I think uh, Wild Growth Walkers we talked about before, and to a lesser extent, uh, Lurking Chupacabra, they're really nice payoffs in this deck they're like a good uh b plan um while you're spinning your wheels and, and setting up your deck that oh i'm gaining three six life or oh i'm able to kill your x2 with my chupacabra these are i think uh things that this deck does pretty well uh what else we got uh life gain is pretty important uh, mm -hmm. to these these decks as we talked about earlier so my my favorite and i think the best of these is wild growth walker i've had the most success drafting these decks when i've had uh, anywhere from one to three wild growth walkers and some explorer cards and it i found that it's kind of hard sometimes to get the walkers and the explorer cards because a lot yeah. of times there's a wild growth walker and the explorer card in the same pack like a tashana's mm -hmm. wayfinder or something and i think you have to take the wild growth walker but i've often found myself splashing like some of the more mediocre explorer cards from other other colors to get there mm -hmm. with my wild growth walkers um so just something to be be aware of there and then another card that really makes this deck tick i think is queen's agent that's five and a black for the three three vampire scout that when it enters the battlefield you explore so either you get a three three lifelinker and a land or a four four lifelinker and no one like literal no one maybe the vampire deck wants one copy of this but nobody else wants this card so if yeah. you're drafting this deck you can constantly depend on wheeling this card and I've, I've happily played up to four copies of that card in these types of decks. It's it's just very good. It stabilizes you. It does everything you want to do. Some other ways to gain life that are not, you know, I think those are the two two main ones. Mm -hmm. uh, Ravenous Daggertooth is okay. Pious Interdiction's a card that really makes this deck tick. It's a removal spell and life gain, so you can take care of one of your opponent's threats and buffer your life total a little bit. And I've been fairly happy with Mark of the Vampire. I know you're a little uh, less yeah, uh, high on this card than I am, yeah. but I, I've liked Mark of the Vampire as another way to gain life, uh, throwing it on an attacker later in the game after you're fairly sure they don't have bounce or removal in their hand. That's my only issue with Mark of the Vampire in this deck is that of what you just said like i want my life gain creature i want to be able to like slam queen's agent and block with it somewhere like but i feel like mark of the vampire then i have to set it up because i'm gonna to want to attack with the creature that i play it on the turn i play it right so that's then yes. removing a blocker from my side of the battlefield and like probably depending on what the board is like probably just setting myself up to get two for one and gain like six life five life so that, that but if you are able to drop it late game it can certainly like if you've stabilized and then that pulls you out like you're if you're at a precarious life total that's a, the, the card that can really pull you out from that consistently and get you like far away from that like scary unfriendly fire range or whatever yeah i agree i think i like queen's agent more than mark in the deck but i think if you don't have queen's agents for whatever reason i think mm -hmm. you want maybe a mark of the vampire too um, yeah. What about what about blocking? What do we got going on there? So uh, you need big butts. Four toughness especially is really powerful. So Sailor of Means is, is again, one of the best cards in this deck. Uh, Wild Growth Walker we talked about. Like, that's a nice two-drop that well, if you explore once, like, it gets up to four toughness. Uh, Ixali's Diviner is actually a card that I like a lot. And this is another one that you can sort of depend on wheeling fairly consistently, like Queen's Agent. This is the one in a green 0-3 with Explore. Um, usually you're hoping that this hits... You're hoping that this hits a non-land because as a two-mana one-four, it's going to be able to be pretty relevant. If it hits a land, it's not the end of the world because of what we talked about earlier with the explore benefits. But 
the Exali's Diviner as a 1-4 is really, really strong. Um, anything like Atskin Archer and, and Grazing Whiptail, which we'll talk about in a bit, but but four toughness blockers that are three or two mana are really, really key for this deck. And then one of the one of the ways you can take advantage of those also is splashing the Brontodon. Yeah. Uh, the, the four green white. What's the first name of it? Is it it's not belligerent. belligerent? Is it belligerent yeah. Brontodon? Yeah. Okay. The other one is the, ancient. Ancient, that's right. So the four six belligerent Brontodon that uh, makes all your stuff deal damage equal to their toughness. That's that's mm. a payoff card. You know, if you get this early defensive speed, something you can splash with your treasures um, to take advantage of those and help close out the game. Yeah, for sure. You've you've made uh, this point a lot, and I I really agree. After drafting it this week, that this deck's often soft to flyers. Um, so Atsukan Archer is pretty important. Grazing Whiptail is important, you know, and I didn't believe you one time. You were, yeah. I think you were in chat and you were like, you should pick Grazing Whiptail here. And I didn't. And I really felt not picking that Grazing Whiptail. So don't underrate that card. Uh, that's two green green for the three, four reach dinosaur. Air Elemental does a good job shoring up the air, the three blue blue for the four, four flyer. Um, and Crushing Canopy I've found is huge in this deck. Uh, that's mm-hmm. two and a green for the instant speed. Uh, destroy target creature with flying or destroy target enchantment because a couple of the ways you die are people slapping one with the wind on something so you can two for one them if they one with the wind their creature or just just flyers in general if your opponent's got a couple siren lookouts that are two three flyers you're, you're going to be in trouble um so you need to have answers to flyers and i think you you kind of nailed this exactly and i'm i'm with you now one copy of cobbled wings is very very important for this deck yeah, it doesn't have to be in your main deck, but it should be in your 45. Like, I think it should be, you should at least have access to it out of the sideboard. Yes, if you're playing a deck that's based around flyers, you want Cobbled Wings in your deck. So sideboard, main deck, and I think it's not an embarrassing main deck card either. I can't really stress this enough. Like, this this particular point is one of the hard, one of the ways that this deck just gets steamrolled is flying creatures. Like, they just drop a Siren's Lookout or they drop a One with the Wind, and if you don't have some way to deal with it, you're going to be in big, big trouble. Um, so I think if you don't have the Whiptail in your deck, then you've got to splash Crushing Canopy. And it feels bad, but if Crushing Canopy is dead in your hand, that probably means you've stabilized anyway. That, that's been my experience. Yep, I would agree. So how do we get into the deck? Hashtag Dirtle responsibly. Like, what are the ways that you want to uh, find yourself? We sort of looked at, at, at one way in the round table, and what was that? What was that version of, of getting into this deck? Uh, that was... Trying to, I think, draft normally. In that, I had the mindset of drafting normally with a slight bias towards this. Mm-hmm. So I think where I where I went off from normal draft, what I would do in a normal draft was on pick three when I had the choice between Contract Killing and Wild Growth Walker. I personally value the Wild Growth Walker very highly in these decks. I like to be green explore based. Um, so I took that over Contract Killing there. So I, I was drafting normally and slanting towards this deck. And then once I saw that the cards were flowing for the deck, I moved in. Yeah. Um, so you can, I guess you can start uh, drafting with this deck in mind, which is, I guess, sort of what you did, but not quite. I mean, you, you were taking mostly responsible picks and then took a wild growth walker. But I think that's sort of what we talked about with <clears throat> having an adjusted pick order. So taking Sailor of Means probably as your top blue common, New Horizons as your New Horizons or Tishana's Wayfinder as your top green common, uh, valuing wild growth walker and lurking Chupacabra highly, uh, Pious Interdiction is going to be your top white common mostly because the deck doesn't end up base white a lot, but it's able to splash, and Pious Interdiction fulfills that, like, two rolls. It, it gains you a little bit of life, and it's catch-all removal for, for big bombs or for something that has been enhanced with a one with the wind, that kind of thing. Um, and Contract Killing is going to get bumped up as your top black common there. So uh, all those things. And, and you'll note that you're not really seeing any red cards at common here, and that's because, like, the things that you would want uh, don't quite fit into this deck. I, I find that reds payoffs are generally at the uncommon and and rare level here Um, but you're not really looking to put unfriendly fire or fire cannon blast or fathom fleet firebrand in your deck red red is usually held out for like oh i got a lightning strike or oh i got a charging monstrous or those those sorts of things yeah i think so the the other way you can get into the deck is naturally i certainly think they're like even drafting correctly whatever quote unquote correctly is like ideally mm-hmm. drafting perfectly yeah um drafting the hard way the ben s way to draft mm-hmm. i think there are seats in ixalan that want to draft this deck and i think certainly as the format has matured and more people are on like the aggro one with the wind draft some two drops get you dead mentality that those decks get diluted in power level because mm-hmm. everyone's fighting over those cards and then if you're you know at the table if you're trying to fight with those other people over that archetype 
or, you know, that's obviously supports like five, six drafters at a table. But I think there's a couple seats that maybe are going to end up with bad aggro decks. And a bad aggro deck is not where you want to be at all, because you're going to lose to the good aggro decks, and you're going to lose to the mid-range control decks. So I think this is an important tool to have in your arsenal. So the way to, way to get into this deck naturally, uh, things that come to mind for me are seeing an early wild growth walker out of a weak pack. I don't think you're supposed to probably pick that aggressively mm-hmm. over good aggressive cards. But if you see a weak pack with a wild growth walker in it, you can take it and feel out if this archetype's open. Drover yeah. the Mighty is just a generically powerful card uh, that fixes you and goes in dinosaurs, which is a great archetype and goes really well in this deck. Uh, Shapers of Nature. One blue-green for the 3-3. That's the Merfolk gold uncommon card. It's an awesome mana sink. It's great in Merfolk, and it's great in this deck. And then just starting off with removal spells, because this deck, you know, we've been kind of down on removal, but that's if you're on the aggressive plan. If you're in Dirtle Town, uh, you need to have at least like two to four removal spells, I think, slotted yeah. up in your deck that can answer what your opponent's doing. Um, so starting off with cards like Contract Killing, Pious Interdiction, Ixalan's Binding, and then seeing like some of these other types of cards, seeing Sailor of Means, seeing some of these other top commons for the Dirtle deck are, are how you kind of get into this if you're drafting normally. Yeah. So I, I think a big question is like, we're doing, we're, we have a lot of work here, right? So we're, we're altering our pick orders. We're trying to play these multicolored decks we're trying to maybe get some explore synergies or some ramp going so what are the reasons to do that so aside from explore synergies you're hopefully going to get as we saw in ben's draft he opened and sunbirds invocation wheeled that and got past an overflowing insight so you're hopefully going to get powerful cards that no one else is willing to take because this is a quote-unquote aggressive format so this is going to include right sunbirds invocation overflowing insight Almost all of the flip artifacts, uh, Conqueror's Galleon is one of the strongest cards for this deck, I think. Uh, Treasure Map, as we saw. Oh, right, you also had that one. Jeez, you had three of these. Treasure Map, uh, Thematic Compass, that's the one that lets you find lands out of your deck, and then it flips into the Maze of Ith land. Uh, Verdant Sun's Avatar is a really strong one, right, because it's going to gain you life, um, but it's a seven drop, which a lot of people aren't trying to, to cast in this format. You're also going to get the benefit of people being very tunneled in their tribes, and also if you're drafting online, of people not hate-drafting because they're in leagues. So when the Vampire Drafter opens Regisaur Alpha, you're going to get shipped that rare. Or likewise, when the Dinosaur Drafter opens Vona, you're going to get shipped that rare. And your your deck is equipped to cast all of these multicolored bombs or uh, double-colored bombs that maybe you're you're not in, but you're able to take advantage of the the green and blue fixing that you've already got to cast those spells yeah i can i can tell you if i have not i had not played with conqueror's galleon until this week Mm -hmm. and boy have i been missing out on some fun that card conqueror's galleon is great when you flip it. it you feel invincible you just you can take cards out of your graveyard. You can draw cards. You can loot. It, it just does it all. I didn't even know what it did on the other side. <laughs> I I think back to when I 0-3'd the uh, Ixalan Streamer Showdown. And in my third match, I think it was Loading Ready Run, attacked with Conqueror's Galleon. And chat was on a delay. So I was just like, what? Or no, they cast Conqueror's Galleon. They didn't, and, and I think I had a counterspell up. And I was like, whatever. Who cares about this clunky thing? And I let it resolve. And chat was like, no, no, no. You're now going to lose. And I definitely did after Conqueror's Galleon flipped. Um, the card is obscenely powerful. So some some other benefits of being in this deck are being able to take advantage of like card advantage and mana sinks that other mm-hmm. people like necessarily aren't able to take advantage of in their decks. Um, so the two main like mana sinks in the format that are the best for this deck at the uncommon level, which you can kind of count on seeing, certainly Thundering Spineback is five green green for the five five dinosaur that you can... Uh, pay five and a green to make a three three dinosaur trample token uh, and it gives all dinosaurs plus one plus one so essentially you're you're making four four trample dinosaur tokens mm-hmm. that one a lot of people are less interested in because it's a seven drop uh, and then shapers of nature is just a premium card in the set like very good in the merfolk deck which i think is probably one of the best archetypes and then but it also does double duty in this deck just as an excellent mana sink um, so you don't you don't really necessarily care care about the creature type Merfolk. You care about the two like four mana put a plus one plus one counter on something and three mana remove a minus a plus one plus one counter to draw a card. That's what you care about. I will say that I think these two cards being the only mana sinks at uncommon are kind of what make this deck possible in my like they're one of the things i guess that make the deck really possible because if you had all the fixing and the ramp that we've talked about that would be fine but if you needed to have only if you could only find rares that were places to dump mana i don't think this deck would come together nearly as often as it can with these two cards at uncommon 
Yeah, because the the whole point of the deck is having late game inevitability, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want to survive until your opponent has run out of steam, like around I don't know turn turn eight, turn nine, mm-hmm. and then and then start having places to dump your mana to give you inevitability. And both of these cards provide that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's also some card advantage in the form of bombs. Like so, we've we've talked about uh, Sunbird's Invocation and Overflowing Insight. So those the draw seven and the enchantment that lets you like essentially cast a card for free when you cast a card most of the time. But there's some some cards at the common and uncommon level that also are card advantage that slot very nicely into this deck uh, if you don't end up with those rare payoffs. So Pirate's Prize does double duty. It's three and a blue. It draw two cards, but you also get to make a treasure token. So it gives you some card advantage and helps you fix for the whatever cards you're splashing. Uh, and Grim Captain's Call, I love this card. Uh, it's very good in this deck because a lot of times you're base black green and black green have all four creature types naturally. And then you also are splashing around. So very often you're able to get four creatures back from the graveyard or have the possibility to get four creatures back from the graveyard when you yeah. cast your Grim Captain's Call. I think it's important to note Pirate's Prize is, I think, a really strong card for this deck and you're going to get it late. And I think there will be a temptation when you see something like Charter Course to take that. But Pirate's Prize is often better in this deck because you are so rarely attacking when you want to be drawing cards. So and that the difference between the two and four mana is not that huge, um, but the treasure-making ability from Pirate's Prize is actually pretty relevant for your deck. You also need to have like a handful, we talked about this, two to four catch-all removal spells to take care of opposing bombs that your wall of blockers can't deal with, or maybe opposing flyers that your wall of blockers can't deal with. So we talked about Pious Interdiction, Ixalan's Binding, Contract Killing, Vraska's Contempt, if you are able to get that rare. They're all important pieces for this deck to survive. So do you want to talk about why this deck succeeds? Yeah, we, we already hit on it a little bit. Um, so almost every aggro deck in the format, except maybe merfolk or vampires uh vampires can play a long game too Mm -hmm. um they they run out of steam by around turn seven or turn eight and if you stabilize against those aggro decks and or you're facing like a non-optimal version of that deck like maybe you know the the merfolk player you're facing had another merfolk drafter at their table or maybe the vampires player you're facing had another vampires drafter at their table and they don't have the nuts deck a lot of times you can stabilize and your card advantage and card quality and power level just allow you to take over the game so if you don't die you're just going to win because you've got places to dump your mana because they're so few and far between in the format and they're so hard to take advantage of that by drafting in this manner you let yourself take advantage of all those late game cards and you can just you know, if you survive, you're gonna you're gonna win. You have inevitability. Yeah, the thing ab- about these decks is that you're like generally thrilled to one for one, which is sometimes not the case. If you're like a red white aggro deck, you have to manage your resources of creatures very particularly. Um, but in this deck, you just be like, great, one for one that, one for one that, because you know you're going if you. If your life total stays above zero, you're going to be able to get to a point where you're casting Pirate's Prize or you're, Grim you're casting Grim Captain Call for three creatures. You're, you're going to be able to out-card advantage your opponent who is just not equipped to face a deck that has this kind of late-game power. Right. So everyone's essentially everyone's on the beard philosophy, and you're saying you're trying to buck the train. Like you're trying to take advantage right. of like getting cards late that other people don't want that are good in your deck that aren't good in others' decks to try to try to beat those decks that are all trying to do the same thing. Right. And then you know, people go like, "Wait, turn turn two Adanto's Vanguard," and you're like, "Great, turn three Sailor of Means." Oh my god, that feels so good. Having one fours against Adanto Vanguard is the best. It's just thing unbeatable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's happened to me multiple times, and I'm like, "All right, great." Yeah, I I got turned on to this deck because I was so frustrated with playing like a red white aggro deck and just like having no control over flooding out or getting mana screwed. That is the thing I really appreciate about this like soul tide dirtle deck is explore and card draw and card filtering and all that stuff or like mana sinks. They all mitigate the variance of getting mana screwed or mana flooded. And that all that puts it more in the player's control, which is such a better experience as a magic player than to just be like, well, I flooded out, or well, I didn't draw my fourth land. Like these decks really are able to manipulate those draws into a winning strategy. Yes, I agree. And and so like as a good player, you know, the longer the game goes, the more chance the more decisions you have to make and the more decisions you get to make as a good player right. the more you should be slanting the game in your favor like it just gives mm-hmm. you more control over the outcome of the game um and i'll say you got me turned onto this deck i was watching you jealously draft this deck while while i was <laughs> doing my recordings that week during my mm-hmm. lunch and as soon as i could start drafting it this week i i 3 would the first time when i had conqueror's galleon and i was just hooked like it was it was so much fun and i i just naturally gravitate toward that that style of deck 
and I've been drafting it ever since, I think reasonably successfully too. So I think it's certainly possible to 3-0 with this deck, and I've found myself consistently 2-1-ing with it. Yeah. And, you know, every once in a while you 1-2 or you 0-2 if it doesn't come together, especially if you're trying to force it. Right. But I, I do think it's a very viable archetype, and I think there are seats that actually want to do this. And I think if you're drafting Ixalan, this should be a tool in your draft arsenal. Absolutely. I think there's something about the way you and I approach magic, I think because we're such cube junkies, that we are very comfortable with these kinds of decks. But I think for a, a new player or for a player who sort of <clears throat> maybe hasn't played a lot of cube or, or used to linear two-color archetypes, this kind of deck seems very daunting and difficult to build and to maybe figure out the correct mana base for. So do you, do you have any tips for, for people listening who maybe are interested in attempting this deck, but once they've drafted it, how do they build a proper mana base? Yeah, uh, the mana base is tricky. Uh, the a general rule of thumb is that you want to have at least three sources for, for one card that you're splashing. So like if you're trying to splash a charging monster sword in your base blue-green deck, you want to have three treasure tokens, uh, like three treasure producers, and you know like have those tokens earmarked for only casting charging monster sword or maybe like a New Horizon and two Sailor of Means, that would let you play Charging Monster Sword without even any mountains in your deck. And it gets it gets trickier after that. If you've got like, you know, say three cards of a color that you're trying to splash, you'd probably want like maybe five sources of that color. Um, there's no hard and fast rules, I don't think. Any heuristics really besides three sources for a single card that you're splashing. But the more that you do it, the better you get at it. Like you just kind of get a feel for yeah. um, how many sources you want. Like for example, in Iconic Master's, just now i've got a deck where the mana is rough and i'm probably going to lose to my mana base i've got four blue cards that i'm splashing and four blue sources which is not ideal like i'd want at least five or six sources for those cards and i had five cards and i cut a blue card to try to make my mana a little better and i might need to cut another one and a good thing to keep in mind is that if you're trying to draft a good turtle deck like if you're trying to hashtag turtle responsibly Mm -hmm. you you want to keep your deck base two colors like either base blue green base green black or base black blue and i think there's even probably a base white green version of the deck or white blue yeah or white blue that use like sailor like white blue uses sailor means prosperous pirates white green uses new horizons drover Mm -hmm. but you're you're ideally wanting to be base two colors and you want your early drops in those two colors so that you're consistently hitting your early drops so that you don't die Right. I, I feel like I've, you know, seeing as I've been infecting the magic community with this archetype, <laughs> you know, people are sharing their deck lists with me uh, through Twitch or through Discord. And, and I think sometimes they look a bit messy because people are excited about, about this archetype and it looks like fun and you're getting to play with cards that you don't normally get to play in, play with in these uh, more streamlined aggressive decks. But you got to remember, you got to think about how you're casting your spells. You can't be putting Fathom Fleet Firebrand in your blue-green deck, like because Fathom Fleet Firebrand is best on turn two, and also requires red as an activation cost. So you can't really cast that off of treasure and hope it to do anything. It's tough to have something like Thundering Spineback as a splash. Is fine if you've got like con- if you're you've set aside your treasure from contract killing and prosperous pirates to to cast the double green of thundering spine back but then you have to remember that the reason you're putting it in your deck is it's activation it's a mana sink so you have to have a repeatable way to produce green mana so you're going to have to put at least one forest in your deck or 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 have multiple uh new horizons but new horizons is a bad example because it's green but you understand my point yeah and i think people when like I've had, i can't tell you the number of times i've been drafting this deck had a good version of the deck mm-hmm. like in my draft pile in pack two or something and people come into my chat and be like whoa this looks terrible this yeah. is a pile blah 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 and i i think a lot of times people are just wrong about that they don't know uh they don't know what good versions of the deck look like there are mm-hmm. really powerful good versions of this deck in the format but if you're not comfortable drafting this archetype maybe wait until you can try an Ixalan, uh, but mm-hmm. I think there's other formats that are certainly more friendly to this style of deck, like Iconic Masters, for example. Yeah. Um, and I think Cube would be a great place. But you just need to try, like, you and I didn't learn how to do this by winning with it right away. Like, we... <laughs> oh, no. As <laughs> like, evidenced from, I didn't learn by winning with it in the past two weeks. Like, you know, I, I, it took me a lot of, like, I was one-twoing sometimes with this kind of archetype because I just, like, I felt like this deck did exist and I wanted to figure out what made it tick, you know? But it, it is, it's tough. And I think you figured it out very well, and I think I gained a lot from watching your stream during that week before mm-hmm. I dove in myself. But you you need to get this style of deck in your draft arsenal mm-hmm. and try to figure out how to do it for yourself because it is, while it's maybe, like, tier two 
in this draft format mm -hmm. sometimes if it comes together it can be the best deck you can put together in your seat and in other formats it's going to be the tier one strategy so if you if you want to have success in limited you need to know how to hashtag dirtle responsibly didn't we just come out of a format where this was the best deck wasn't five color green the best deck in hour of devastation yeah i think probably like if not the best then one of the the top two top three decks in the format like just jamming oasis ritualists and gift of paradise and and seeing what rares your opponents wanted to pass you in the draft yeah so I think that's all we have to say about Dirtling responsibly. I think the train is now going to leave Dirtle Town. It's heading back to civilization. But we wanted to talk about Iconic Masters a little bit. And particularly I, who maybe have been splashing around a little bit, wanted to pick your brain, Mr. Tenno, about, <laughs> about how you've been approaching the format in, in your, your four drafts. And, and what, or maybe what you've noticed from streams you've watched or anything like that. Yeah, I think the first thing that I think the easiest thing to do is just t do another roundtable here with my first great iconic masters draft and spawn some discussion from that. And then if mm -hmm. you've got any other questions or whatever, we can we can go through it after that. Sounds good. Okay, so pack one, pick one here for iconic masters. You see the following cards: uh, Student of Ojitai, three and a white for the two four human monk. Whenever you cast a non creature spell, you gain two life. Reeves. I'm not going to go through every card in the pack. I'm going to pick out the ones I think are a little bit better in the commons. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to leave out some of the commons here. Oh, and I think also this is a good time for us to mention. Ben and I, I think I said maybe on the podcast or in the set review that I would be doing non-fandom drafts, but the uh, value in this set is so, so low. The most expensive card doesn't even pay for your draft on Magic Online. So we're both doing phantom events, which are just like 10 ticket events that uh, you don't get to keep the cards. So we won't be considering like money drafting at all in any of our draft picks which is something we, we we would consider otherwise probably yeah i think on goat bots the phantom were like negative two or something and like the six two two twos were like negative seven or eight or something it was ridiculous yeah. okay so you got so you see student of Otatai, you see reeve soul one in a black for the sorcery destroy target creature with power three or less river wheel aerialist five and a blue for the four five flyer with prowess you see Palladium Mirror, three colorless for the 2-2 two -two Mirror. Tap to add two colorless to your mana pool. Heat Ray, red X for the instant. Heat Ray deals X damage to target creature. Draconic Roar, one in a red for the instant that deals three damage to target creature. And if you control a dragon or reveal a dragon as you cast it, it does three to that uh, creature's controller. Roshin Mander, three and a red-green hybrid mana. Uh, for a 4-4 giant shaman that taps to add four colorless to your mana pool that you can only spend on the X in X spells. <laughs> and Anger of the Gods, one red red for a sorcery that does three damage to each creature. And if a creature dealt damage this way would die this turn, exile it instead. Yeah, this is a lot. I don't know what I would take here. I'm inclined to take Anger of the Gods, though it kind of folds to the wall decks of the format because all the walls have four toughness i think it's really a, a big house if your opponent's on some sort of uh jeskai based aggro deck so i think i would probably be on taking anger of the gods here with like a i don't know with close behind maybe one of the other removal spells draconic roar or reeve soul i don't know what, what do you think uh i ended up taking i think those are all certainly reasonable things i had no idea i thought this was a pretty <laughs> weak pack with no clear directions and i i still had in my mind and i think it's true for this format like the ixlon mentality of that i wanted to be drafting a deck or an archetype mm -hmm. more than i cared about individually powerful cards so i ended up settling on roshin meander maybe looking to draft like a red green x spells deck mm. um and i was very close between that and anger of the gods but i also knew i wanted to draft the wall deck and i figured that the wall deck was probably good against stuff like anger of the gods was fairly replaceable in that deck because the walls were already blanking there they're small creatures right. but i think anger of the gods is probably the most powerful card in the pack i i think anger of the gods might be right i don't know it was a hard choice for me too but i settled on roshin meander i think that roshin meander is the kind of card that you get if red green is what you're supposed to be in rather than like taking it first you know like i would be yes. like I would be like grabbing Fireball for sure and then be like hoping to pick up a Roshin Meander, but it feels like it's a card you can get a lot later just because there's so few X spell dumps that are good. Like Heat Ray is, is kind of good, I guess, and is the the Ivy thing is pretty bad, the creature that has an X spell. I think the Ivy thing's okay if you have crowned Ceratok in your deck. The yes. three and yeah. a green for the four three that gives all your creatures with plus one plus one counters trample. If I don't have a couple copies of that, I am not interested in that that X spell at all. Like that, that makes, makes the like green X. So yeah, I, very close pick. I had no idea what to do there. Like I said, this was my first draft. Mm -hmm. um, moving on to pick two, you see the following cards. Condescend, 
blue X for an instant. Counter target spell unless its controller pays X and you scry two. I knock Bonkin, one and a white for the two one outlast with one and a white. So you can tap, pay one and a white, tap it to put a plus one plus one counter on it. Um, and then each creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it has first strike. Swords to plowshears, single white for an instant. Exile target creature, its controller gains life equal to its power. Jessian Thief, two and a blue for the human rogue. One three prowess, and when it deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Ben, are you just like only telling us blue and white cards from now on? <laughs> no, I think it's, I literally think those are some of the best cards in the pack. <laughs> no, I now, that's where I've ended up every time, so it makes sense that you know <laughs> that's why I've ended up there. But yeah, no, I'm looking at the pack. I agree with you; those are the only cards worth mentioning. I mean, it's it's an easy swords to plowshares here, right? Like, it's just going in any deck you draft. You'll like grab an evolving wilds or something to splash it if you're not in white like you just it's so so powerful yeah it really is and i was relieved to see that here because i really didn't want to go down the roshin meanderer route and swords <laughs> to plowshoes is just a very flexible card so i was very willing to abandon the roshin meander at this point yeah. all right moving on to pick three cards that are interesting again another student of ojitai uh a reeve soul Pentarch Ward, which I think is a little underrated uh, at the moment. A mm-hmm. Two and a white for an enchantment. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, choose a color. You, uh, When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card. An enchanted creature has protection from the chosen color, and this effect doesn't remove Pentarch Ward. I think this is like a very good way to push through damage. And if if not a main deck card, a very powerful sideboard card if your opponent's heavier slanted towards one color. Yeah. But I've been very happy with that. And the fact that it replaces itself is just awesome. White of Precinct 6, one and a black for the 1-1 one, one zombie, and it gets plus one, plus one for each creature card in your opponent's graveyard. There's an Orzob Basilica here, the Karu, the, or the Bounce Lands. Uh, that's the white-black one. So when you play it, it enters the battlefield tapped. It taps for a white and a black. Um, and when it enters the battlefield, you return a land you control to your owner's hand. And then... Crown Ceratok, like I mentioned, that's three and green for the four-three trample, and each creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it has trample. And then we see another Roshin Meander here, and I think that's it really that's in consideration. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you could just take a second Roshin Meander, but then it feels like it's harder to cast Swords of Plowshares. And again, I like I said, I don't think that card has a ton of like great payoffs, but you're seeing your your combo here, Crown Ceratok plus Ivy Elemental. So I think you could like grab one of those three cards and hope to wheel one of them. But the Bounce Lands are so good, right? They are so good. I think if you're not taking Bounce Lands highly, you should change that right now. I've, I've been seeing them criminally late, and I think it's one of the reasons I've had success with my decks. I've been drafting like a Jeskai. That's the only deck I've drafted so far is like a Jeskai or a white-blue-based mill deck or Vent Sentinel deck. So Doorkeeper is the one, the 0-4 that taps to mill your opponent equal to the number of defenders you have, and Vent Sentinel taps to do damage equal to the number of defenders you have. But both of those have activation costs. Doorkeeper costs two and a blue, and Vent Sentinel costs one and a red. So those this deck that I've been drafting is super mana-hungry, and these bounce lands make it so you hit your land drops so much more consistently because they're essentially two-for-ones, and they're right. very, very good, and they help you splash. And even if early in the draft it doesn't match up with your first two picks, it's still fine to take because you don't know what's going to happen the rest of the draft. They just give you so much flexibility and power. And you can play, like, if you're blue-black and you have the white-blue one, play that land. Some people even think that you should be, like, if you are you have a red-green bounce land and you're blue-black, that you should still play that red-green bounce land. I'm not sure I'm quite there, but... I'm there if your mana can afford a colorless land. Right, yeah, if you're, if you're I guess, if you're straight two colors, if you can afford a, a colorless land. And it's just so good. It also, like, it helps mulligan. Like, if you, you mulligan into a, a hand with a bounce land in it, boom, unmulliganed. Yeah, somebody in my chat, I don't remember who it was, said last night that... The, the carry lands are hard to mulligan with because if you like, and yes, there's a drawback the more you have in your deck. Like if you right. have a six card hand with two carry lands, you can't keep it because if you play them, they bounce themselves. So you essentially right. have no land drops, but all you need is one untapped land and a carry land and you're unmulliganed. Uh, yeah. So I, I do think they benefit you a lot in the mulligan yeah. process. Oh, they're so good. All right. So yeah, I snapped up Orzhov Basilica. I think that's probably correct there. Yeah, I agree. Moving on to pick four see the following cards vent sentinel uh, as mentioned earlier three and a red for the two four elemental with defender and it has one and a red tap to deal damage equal to the number of defenders you control to your opponent um, a couple more student of ojitais and a johnny's pride mate i think is the only other card that really stands out to me here yeah one and a white for a two two cat soldier and whenever you gain life you may put a plus one plus one counter on a johnny's pride mate yeah I mean, we know you're taking vent sentinel ben we know you're a sicko <laughs> yeah I, I mean i slammed it here i wanted to draft this deck i saw the vent sentinel and i figured that was a good enough reason to, to try it out but i think this is also like coming off of ixalan signal reading i think is going to benefit people so well in iconic masters because i think this is exactly the kind of like vent sentinel is an archetype defining card in the format 
um, at least in the, the couple days that we've had the format live. So seeing it fourth pick makes me think that other people to your right are not interested in this kind of deck. They're not interested in at least a red-based version of the wall deck, or they're not interested in splashing Ben Sentinel in their other wall deck or whatever. But either way, I think that is a pretty big signal um, for you to take it and, and try and move in on this archetype. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that's one of the reasons I've had success in the format. And, you know, I could very easily be seven and three too. Like I've, I've played some very close games and gotten very lucky in top mm-hmm. deck and things like that. But I, I've been approaching drafting like I've been approaching drafting excellent. Like I've been trying to take the most flexible, powerful cards I can in the first few picks and including bounce lands. And then as soon as I see archetype defining cards, I've been trying to snap them up and move in. And I've just so, it's just so happened that I've seen uh, vent sentinels and doorkeepers a lot because i think mm-hmm. they're both very powerful and they're very good at common and i think there's defenders in like white green blue and red so there's yeah. a lot of different color combinations to end up with a viable deck with doorkeepers or vent sentinels as your win condition yeah for sure pick five see the following cards wrench mind you know it's a fine fine sideboard card advantage type card it's been mm-hmm. good against me because uh, I've been dirtling around. That's two black, black. Target player discards two cards unless he or she discards an artifact card. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Frexian Rager, two and a black for a 2-2 horror. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and you lose one life. I think this card's bad in the format. Yeah, I don't know where it goes. Like, it's a generically powerful card, but it just gets blanked by so many cards that are better than it and go mm-hmm. in an archetype. Like, yeah. if your opponent plays Frexian Rager and you're playing Doorkeepers and Vent Sentinels, you just don't care at all. Yeah. Uh, Mnemonic Wall. It's four and a blue for an 0-4 wall with Defender. When it enters the battlefield, you can return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. It's been an all-star for me. Um, I think it's it's very good in these Defender-based decks. Uh, yeah. Rebuying stuff like Swords to Plowshears is just insanely good. It's also really good in blue-red Kiln Fiend spells. Yes. Like having one copy of this to get back you know, your removal spell or your Rift Bolt to like just finish them off for the final few points of damage. It's It's a really, really good card. There's also Star Compass in the pack, two uh, colorless mana for an artifact that enters the battlefield tap, and you tap to add one mana of any color that a basic land you can pro- you control could produce to your mana pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see another Monastery Swift Sphere and a Darksteel Axe, which I just learned today has Indestructible. <laughs> Did you <laughs> one, try and one, kill it? No, but chat saved me. I was like, well, we can always blow that up. And they were like, uh, no, you can't do that. <laughs> nice. Uh, equip creature gets plus two plus O, oh, and it has an equip cost of two. Um, so I, I just slammed the mnemonic wall here. I think the only other card in contention is really Star Compass. Yeah. And I've I've not, in the decks I've drafted, I've wanted, uh, I haven't really wanted the two mana mana rocks because I've had good cards. I've been much more interested in uh, the Karu lands, the bounce yeah. lands, because my decks have been so mana hungry. And that lets you hit the land drops without taking up spell slots in your deck. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I think that the bounce lands and the two mana mana rocks and having things like Doorkeeper on turn two, it's just a lot. That's a lot of like turn two competition. And I think the Mana Rocks maybe save for Mindstone get eked out a little bit. Yeah. Um, the rest of this draft is not super interesting, uh, at least in this pack. And then I kind of got the hookup with some Doorkeepers and Vent Sentinels nice. later on in the, in the draft. And I ended up in a, a Just Guy based like Doorkeeper Vent Sentinel control deck. Sweet. Yeah. So any any like general questions about the format or anything like that? Um, I guess any so we know what you like to draft and what you've been having success with. Seems like Jeskai Defenders is 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 definitely a strong archetype. Any decks you've faced that you've been impressed by or very unimpressed by? Yeah, I've been super impressed by blue red spells. I've I've barely beaten two very good blue red spells decks. One of them had was taking advantage of the like the draw seven. It's two and a blue, and each player discards their hand, and then you mm-hmm. both draw. Um, I barely beat a person that had two of those in their deck. Like they were on Kiln Fiend, Aggro, like dump my hand, then cast that, and it was super good against me. I, I think Kiln Fiend has been a very good archetype and very scary for me. I saw yeah. uh, Sparrow's Rum, whose opinion I trust a lot. Uh, he had a, a very good blue black mill deck think he ended up 3-0-ing with it i'm not sure i left in game three of the finals but people in my chat were telling me he threw yeah there's a there's another streamer scalding hot soup ian who uh i think he just streamed for like 10 hours yesterday i think he got like five trophies and i think he had a lot of success with blue back blackmail and i've faced a couple decks that have been very streamlined and taken advantage of jace's phantasm and white of precinct six being at common as, as the kind of the payoffs for that deck so I think that that's a deck I'm looking forward to drafting. I haven't had a chance to, to draft it yet, but it does look like it could be one of the best decks in the, in the format. Yeah, and I think I've been lucky to dodge that archetype in the pairings because I've almost decked myself <laughs> with the decks I've been <laughs> drafting without yeah. my opponent trying to help that process along at all. 
So it seems like that deck is certainly going to be very strong against the the Defender deck uh, as well. I've been very impressed by the Prowess deck too, like in white, Seeker of the Way has yeah. been very impressive in my decks, and I haven't even like really been totally building around it. And my new pet card, what's the name of it? It's the, it's something cash, like Survivor's Cash, maybe? A Survival Cash. Survival Cash, like two and a white. The card's either great or horrible. There's no in between. <laughs> no, it really is. But when it's great, it's so good. It's two and a white for the sorcery, and you when you cast it, you gain two life, and then if you have more life than the opponent, you draw a card. So if you're at period or ahead, you're just, you just feel like you can't lose when you cast it. And then if you're behind... It's pretty bad. Yeah. Sometimes it's only gained me four life and turned on some secret of the ways. So I'm a little more leery of it. But the first few times I cast it, it was just like stone unbeatable. So that's yeah. I'm going to have a soft spot for that card for the rest of the format. And I'm going <laughs> to have to try really hard not to not to overvalue it. But yeah, uh, that's been what I've noticed. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think bl- blue, green, and blue, red have been the most successful archetypes for me. And I think blue, red having being deep enough to either be the Kiln Fiend, Elusive Spellfist, Aggro deck, or the Doorkeeper, Vent Sentinel, Defender deck is pretty impressive that both of those decks exist in, in those colors. Um, I've been very unimpressed. I've had good ver- what I think are good versions of green-white. Uh, like sort of counters matters slash life gain synergies, and the decks have both one twoed. So I think green white is bad. That's I'm, I'm just sort of off of it until I see a good version of it because I haven't been impressed by versions I've seen on the other side of the board either. I do think that black white control is a real deck. I think like black white counters or life gain. I think that's where that's going to exist. And black green counters has been pretty impressive to me. I mean, corpse jack menace into uh, whatever hero's bane is one of the most fun things to do on your side and one of the most obnoxious things to see on your opponent's side. I was facing down like a 400-400 Heroes Bane today. Oh, jeez. That sounds awful. <laughs> it was terrible. I did almost win. Oh, and I wanted to say that... Uh, oh, what's that card? The, like, Drakehaven. Mystical Teachings. Is that what it is? Oh, I think that's the real deal. That card is the real deal. Yeah, it's very good in blue-red spells. Yeah, that was the other blue-red spells deck I faced. Was it, it was just, like, removal and grind you out, and it had two copies of Mystical Teachings, and I just happened to get lucky to draw my sideboard artifact and enchantment destruction against it. It kind of reminds me of Riddle Form, because you're not taking a turn off when you cast it, right? It, it's triggering prowess and it then reaps the benefits of you casting non-creature spells. And the fact that other than like Kiln Fiend and Gutter Snipe, like it's triggering everything else. It's triggering the Seeker of the Way. It's triggering Elusive Spellfist, Jesse and Thief, all that stuff. And it's important to note that it also triggers off of, it's all, it's non-creature spells. So you play, a, you know, some artifact. You're playing your Mind Stone. You're going to get to make a little 2-2 flyer out of there. So I think that card's really, really strong. That's impressed me a lot. And it, it also double triggers off of your rebound spells. So like Stagger Shock, oh, yeah. yeah. like triggers it twice. And then like the turn that it rebounds, you have all your mana up. So like some of the times the problem with that card is you just don't have enough mana to make mm-hmm. the 2-2 flyers. Yeah. And rebound really helps mitigate that drawback a lot. For sure. Um, so I think it's especially insane with rebound cards. Uh, one other interaction that I want to throw out, because like rebound and suspend are just such funky mechanics that there's a, some weird interactions around those. And one of them is with Teferi. <laughs> Teferi, I think, is a lot better in this format. Like I think of Teferi, uh, that's, so Teferi is the two triple blue three four with flash, comes into play, or it's a flash creature, and it says other creatures you control have flash that aren't on the battlefield, and your opponent can only cast spells anytime they can cast a sorcery. Oh, snap. That just turns off any rebound stuff and any suspend stuff that your opponent has. So I think this card is a card that I often don't think of as being good in cube, or like it's like fine in cube. Yeah, I passed it today because I was like, eh, it's just fine. I think it really uh, hoses a lot of things in the format. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's a good place to wrap it up here. Go draft some Iconic Masters if you haven't. Having tons of fun doing it. Um, next week, I, uh, we'll figure out what we're going to do. Uh, probably some Iconic Masters, maybe some Ixalan. Mm-hmm. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. And as a reminder, we've got our uh, XLN treasure hunt going on. If you've got screenshots of any of those achievements, you can hashtag them on Twitter and tweet at Lords of Limited or at either Ethan or I, or you can email us screenshots at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Yeah, for sure. If you complete five of those, you get entered in a giveaway for a draft set of Exelon, or uh, maybe if you want to some uh, some phantom drafts of IMA, we could maybe do that too. And then for everyone we accomplished as a listener base, we're going to do a combined Lords of Limited uh, stream. We're up to, I think, just 17 hours still, right? We still still haven't had someone submit the Sanguine Sacrament loop. I was so close. In were one you of really? My decks. I was three cards away oh my from God. getting there. 
three oh cards away gosh. from digging through my deck to get there. I was so close, and then my That's opponent killed me. Amazing. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, please come spam our Twitch chats. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same handles on Twitter. We love to see uh, people's decks, people's sweet board states they've got, anything like that. We're really primed to answer questions. YouTube, I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash Lord Tupperware. Hoping to get some Iconic Masters drafts up there pretty soon. But again, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, full um set review with ryan Sachs from star city games available on that youtube channel yeah and i think uh, another way to get in touch with us if you are in a financial situation where you're interested in supporting the show on patreon the discord channel on patreon mm-hmm. um, is a great place like if you have like if you want feedback about your decks or you're not sure what your 23rd card should be or if you just want like advice about what's working for us at the moment like in real time the discord uh, lords of limited chat is a pretty great way to do that you uh you were on discord before this week were you I was not, and I am a believer. It's awesome. <laughs> you were like, what's, what is this? Yeah, I don't know how I didn't use it before this week. It's great. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very fun. I like your channel from your, like, I'm subscribed to your your stream, and there's, like, I don't know, a bunch of people in there, and it's really fun sharing screenshots and talking about stuff. Like, it's just more of a fix if you're a draft junkie. Yeah, for sure. If you've got any feedback about the show or questions, you can also shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Yep. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.